Thank you. 
Taffler Shapiro, the 18th president of Princeton University, will preside at this, the 254th commencement of the university. President Shapiro. Thank you. Uh, the invocation will be pronounced by Dean Williamson. The invocation of this service of commencement is dedicated to Harold T. Shapiro with respect and lasting gratitude. Please join me in the spirit of prayer. O oh God, who makes all things new, this is the commencement of the rest of our lives. This is the day of beginnings. We have only begun to know ourselves. We have only begun to love the earth. We have only begun to imagine the fullness of life. We are mindful of the changes and challenges which this day represents. We have learned that we have no excuses. We have set our minds to work. We have jettisoned our jargon in order to remember what matters most. But we are more than our minds. Our knowledge is not enough. Some larger purposes are being born, some vision that will transcend our quotidian routines must be engaged. 
we must be willing to search out the mysteries of the unknown. And we have also learned from the Man Shapiro the substance of we, which means coming to terms with the strength that is in us all, the gathering together of companions, the oneness of humanity in all its complexity, the willingness to enter into a compact of trust. Thus, we are grateful for the gift of Harold Shapiro's life and leadership. Let this day of beginnings inspire us with joy and with great expectations. Day sub numine viget. Under God's numinous power, the university flourishes, flourishing in our search for knowledge, flourishing in our search for the disclosure of meaning and purpose, flourishing in our search for the substance of we. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It is my pleasure this morning, on behalf of Princeton University, to welcome all of you to our campus for these commencement exercises. I would like to extend warm greetings to families and friends who have gathered here to celebrate with us the graduating seniors of the class of 2001 and with the recipients of advanced degrees from Princeton's Graduate School. I'm going to greet a few special guests. In a moment, I'm going to ask them to stand. I would ask everyone to withhold their applause until I have everybody standing. May I ask first that the parents of today's graduates please stand and remain standing. best is yet to come. I want all grandparents and family members to please stand as well. And now I would like uh, the graduates of the class of 2001 and the graduate students who are receiving degrees to really show your appreciation for these members of your family. Ah, Thank you. Please be seated. This particular commencement has special meaning for me. As you know, I will retire in a few weeks as president of Princeton to return full time to teaching research at the university. In addition, my very close colleague and the provost of the university, Jerry Rostreicher, Charles A. Young Professor of Astronomy, will be leaving his post shortly to assume a distinguished professorship at Cambridge University. Professor Ostreicher, or Jerry, has made significant contributions to Princeton during the years he has served as provost. And I would like to ask him to rise so that we may express our gratitude to him. Jerry.
It is also my honor to introduce to you with these commencement exercises the 19th president of Princeton, Shirley Tillman, the Howard A. Pryor Professor in the Life Sciences, Professor of Molecular Biology, and Director of the Institute for Integrative Genomics. Shirley, would you please stand so we could all greet you. The Latin salutatory will be delivered by Christopher Gibson Bradley, a senior for Carrollton, Texas. Canta Musa, canta salutationem classi nostrae, quae ne cantetur igpe atenle, newe verba mea sint margarita ante porcos misae. <laughs> te, primum, te, praesis Shapiro, omni gravitate, quae hoc die solemni sum praditus saluto, qui terque quaterque beatus es, cum nostram universitatem paine de novo condideras. Mirabile visu tante molis erat tot tanta que edificare. Te quoque, anistissima professor Tillman, nostram praesidam noam saluto, et iubio valere. Nec non et curatores, amicosque, patientissimasque familias. Sed vobis reservo meam propriam salutationem, carissimi condiscipuli, quibus mysteria scintiae linguae latinae reservata sunt. <laughs> lingua latina per totum mundum occidentalum universalis eruditionis lingua fuit cum hoc universitas condita est, non quia literatos ab ingratis devidit, sed quod varietatem linguarum gentilium vicet. Universitate Princetoniensi in novum millennium Siwe una, siwe duobus in litere scripta. <laughs> Progrediensi, hoc memoria tenendum est, nobis non tantum pro nostra gente, sed etiam pro omnibus gentibus laborandum. <laughs> Enem vero, tametsi aliter ferri videtur, non omnes viae ad semita moralem tendunt. Et siwe nostri gradus ad studia linguae latinae, siwe ad americam latinam, nos tucent, spero nos nobiscum non doctrinas amplissimas, quas ille lectiones rerum naturam poetis dico, saxa strenuis, et literas electronicas non sine primio nos dona rerunt. <laughs> Sed potius mentes, quibus non tantum mundum quotidianum scrutemur, extimemusque, sed etiam nos ipsos. Quem obrem professoribus nostris gratias agamus.
Procerto altum, hoc est, nos hodie etiam plura immo plurima in pectoribus custodire. Numquam enim memoria labentur, qui victores a campo radierunt, qui illustre sunt foro de salute re publica luctati sunt, qui poculorum magistri facti sunt, qui civibus nostris auxiliam pio animo dederunt, qui denique histrionis facti sunt, scriptores, modulatores que entiasis quos honoris causa nomino Caledonium proientaculo, improvisam fucabundum cohortem, magnam meridium et udeunt calico. Omnes nos debemus cum tenere memoria dies, quos hoc loco egimus et gaudia, quibus communiter fructis sumus, tum postulare ut haec alma mater nostra novis in auditisque modis augescat. Classis mea, vitam futuram ducatis magna cum pace et prosperitate. Hancorationem quanto lacunque sit, gaudio vos patienter aduise, et gratias ago vobis, pro doctrinis omnibus quae mihi docuistis. Utinam ne hoc studium commune umquan desinant. Amici, cum latini, tum barbari, avete et valete. Uh, now there's a sense of style. <laughs> I think maybe this new millennium will raise this salutary address to a new art form, which uh, I'll leave for President Tillman to deal with in the years <laughs> in the years ahead. I would like to introduce the university's associate provost, Joanne Mitchell, who will introduce this year's winners of the Secondary School Teachings Awards. Joanne. Each year at commencement, Princeton honors four outstanding teachers selected from the secondary schools of New Jersey. In so doing, we gratefully acknowledge the exceptional contributions of our colleagues who teach in the high schools and middle schools. I would like at this time to recognize each teacher individually. Please hold your applause until all of the award winners have been recognized. Andrew P. Dunn. As teacher of English and writing at Northern Highlands Regional High School, Andrew Dunn challenges and empowers his students, showing them how to mine the gold of their own ideas. The time and energy he devotes to each student and his interest in their lives inside and outside the classroom have earned him the love, the respect, and the trust, not only of generations of students, but of parents, colleagues, and members of the community. Frank Heffernan. As they watch their homemade aircraft take flight, Frank Heffernan's students experience the soaring thrill of scientific discovery. Whether in his chemistry or science aviation classes at Chatham High School, he teaches his students that science is vitally connected to events in their daily lives 
and that they can master an understanding of how and why. Stacy Lee Horn. Stacy Lee Horn's enthusiasm for science is catching. Whether in her Phillipsburg High School classroom working with a pet python or on an oyster schooner observing pollution's effect on marine life habitat, she teaches her students the fundamental connections between textbook science and real-world applications and between their personal choices and the health and future well-being of the planet. Hillary Peterland. For 35 years at Kennelland High School, Hillary Peterland has helped his students make sense of chaos, both through his explanations of chaos theory and his popular mathematics courses, and through his able guidance as a coach, mentor, and friend. To his colleagues, he is an intellectual leader and an innovator who helps his students and teachers alike understand why teaching is a rare and special privilege. Please join me in recognizing these teachers' contributions to our society's future. Let me now introduce the Dean of the College and Professor in the Department of History, Nancy Malkiel, who will present the candidates for undergraduate degrees. Dean Malkiel. At this time, we recognize each undergraduate who has qualified for Princeton University's bachelor's degree. Let me remind you at the outset that your diplomas and program certificates can be picked up on Cannon Green behind Nassau Hall at the conclusion of these exercises. We begin with the candidates for the degree of Bachelor of Arts. Before presenting you to President Shapiro and to the trustees for the awarding of your degrees, I will introduce you informally, department by department. Please stand in place as your department is named, and I ask your families, classmates, and friends to withhold their applause until all undergraduates in each group have been introduced. First, I should like to invite the members of the following departments to stand. English, Art and Archaeology, the School of Architecture, and Music. Please be seated. And now the members of these departments. Classics, Comparative Literature, Romance Languages and Literatures, Germanic Languages and Literatures, Slavic Languages and Literatures, East Asian Studies, Near Eastern Studies, and the Independent Concentration Program. Please be seated. We turn next to the departments of philosophy, religion, and history. 
please be seated. Will the undergraduate members of these departments please rise? Politics and the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. Please be seated. Now those in economics, sociology, and anthropology. Please be seated. Will seniors in these departments uh, please stand? Ecology and evolutionary biology, and molecular biology. Please be seated. Finally, I wish to introduce the seniors receiving Bachelor of Arts degrees in physics, mathematics, astrophysical sciences, computer science, chemistry, geosciences, and psychology. Please be seated. At this time, all candidates for the degree of Bachelor of Arts are invited to stand together. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified to you who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degree of Bachelor of Arts. Octora Tahi Mihi Akuratorabas, Universitatis Pringatoniensis Comissa, Wosat Gradum Premium in Artibus at Common Artibus, Ut in the Kadamest at Mito. Congratulations to you all. Please be seated. At this time, we recognize each undergraduate who has qualified for the degree of Bachelor of Science in Engineering. Once again, I will invite you to stand in place as your department is named, and I will ask your families, classmates, and friends to hold their applause until your degrees have been conferred. I invite Bachelor of Science in Engineering candidates in the following departments to rise. Chemical Engineering, Civil and Environmental Engineering, Computer Science, Electrical Engineering, Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering, and Operations Research and Financial Engineering.
Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified to you who have completed the scholastic requirements for the degree of Bachelor of Science in Engineering. Octoritati mihi acuritoribus universitatis pregatoniensis commissa, vosat gradum primum inscientii signariis, ecumenoribus utindicatum est admitto. Congratulations to you all. Please be seated. Let me finally invite the entire class of 2001, 1,091 strong, to rise as a body. Artists, writers, scholars, athletes, campus leaders, community volunteers, recipients of honors, certificates, and prizes, members of honor societies, winners of fellowships, you have put your imprint on this university, and you leave with our warmest congratulations. Please be seated. The faculty elects the valedictorian each year, taking into account special qualifications as well as scholastic ranking. This year, for the first time in Princeton's history, the faculty decided that the honor should go to two seniors. You will hear from both today. The first address will be given by Jared George Kramer, a senior from Atkinson, New Hampshire, who concentrated in the Department of Computer Science. And the second address will be delivered by Christine Adrienne McLevy, a senior from West Kingston, Rhode Island, and a physics department major. No worries, dog. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote that the intellect is what moves all the parts of man, and that reason is the first principle of human action. By nature, we are creatures of reason and analytical thought. To live productive lives, we need knowledge. We also need moral truth. Equipped with automatic access neither to knowledge nor to the good, our intellectual ability is our most reliable aid in acquiring these things. Princeton has forced us to ask many questions and to think rigorously in exploring their solutions. Our labors between one and three in the morning, writing, rewriting the end of that stubborn paragraph, choosing new words, checking the flow into the next paragraph, was work not just of language, but of reason of ensuring that the ethical argument in our writing was cogent and coherent. Our labors between three and five 
chalk in hand, reproducing a proof about the properties of polynomials was not just an exercise of replication, but of moving our minds through new steps, new modes of argument. It is necessary that we continue questioning and exploring. Ask questions of moral justification. Be critical, be critical of your institutions and leaders. It is pleasant to assume that the powers that be are ordained of God, but this assumption is a luxury that active and influential people cannot afford. Our institutions must promote their proper and useful ends, and we must make sure that they do so. Ask if the allocation of resources through corporate structures and financial markets accords with the moral directives of human equality and responsibility to community. Profit is indeed necessary for progress, but consultants and bankers and managers must seek it while working to reduce the vast inequalities of opportunity that surround us. Ask if technology and the industry built upon it accord with moral reason. Intellectual, natural, and capital resources cannot be wasted, and engineers must ensure that the products they create are necessary and efficient. Ask if government policy accords with moral reason. Was it right for President Clinton to permit the funding of organizations that provide for abortion, the morality of which is unresolved by our society? Was it right for President Bush to deny this funding when it also threatens valuable family planning, contraception, and, and educational services? Ask if your public service job accords with reason. Are you doing it to make yourself feel good or to get paid to travel to some nifty new place? Are you avoiding a more rewarding, more challenging, and more valuable position in the private sector merely because you are afraid of facing more subtle and more difficult decisions? A friend of mine once gave me a draft of her essay for med school applications. It accused doctors of abandoning patient care to obsessive concern with cost and technology. I advised her to remove the passage since the doctors reading the application might not appreciate such commentary from an outsider. But this outsider offered thoughtful criticism, noting that professional practice seemed to contradict the moral implications of healing as a profession. So perhaps my advice was wrong. Also continue to ask questions of academic knowledge. Someday you may be a programmer, plagued by product release deadlines. It may be easier debugging Java code for 60 hours a week to forget about the science in computer science and to fall back on just hacking things together to make it all work. But it is still valuable to ask questions that straddle the academic and practical divide. Can real software incorporate some theoretically fast algorithm? Does the myoglobin protein serve a previously unknown biological function? Can we reform campaign finance without sacrificing free speech? There is excellence also in asking questions that are purely academic, whose answers will not soon escape the world of literary journals or university labs and chalkboards. The exercise of the intellect is among the highest human pursuits and should never be abandoned. What was Nietzsche getting at? What is a supernatural number? What is the symbolic significance of pomegranate juice? We must approach our beliefs, our theories, and the way the world works with doubt and with reason. We must do this to seek the best arguments in favor and opposed to our positions. We must do this to act, to change and improve ourselves and our communities. We must do this to make the best use of all that was given to us in four years at Princeton. Thank you.
There's a solo piano piece, an impromptu, by the 19th century composer Franz Schubert that begins with a single chord. You strike it really loudly, and, and then you just have to wait for a, for a really long time, and it feels like forever, because with a single gesture, you've thrown yourself out there on display, and uh, you know everyone is watching you. What are they thinking? Are they already terribly bored, or are they laughing at me? And the natural reaction is to apologize. I didn't actually mean to play that. I'll, I'll just continue on, and people will forget. They won't be offended. Three years ago, I was fortunate enough to study this piece with the renowned pianist Theodore Letvin. The lessons would begin, and I would sit down, put that first note, wait as long as I could, and then lift my arm as if I were going to continue. And without fail, a hand would reach and grab my arm, and I'd hear the uh, familiar words, dear girl, what's the hurry? It's really quite an impossible thing to learn, I think, to, uh, to make a statement and then to wait and to invite people to form judgments and not to cringe or apologize. It's, of course, also the mark of an artist, as I understand listening to Leppin play, each phrase arising with that inevitability that can only come when you know it hasn't been hurried. Music possesses an amazing magic and conviction in Ted's hands, something that he also conveys through his teaching. I remember one lesson he stopped me, explaining this note. You must picture your newborn brother and Imagine you are stroking his face. He must play the note like that. Another passage might sound like footsteps in a funeral procession. A third feel as if I were being tickled. But most often the music was about love, winning a loved one's affections, the nervous anticipation of being naked in the lover's arms, the loneliness when the other is far away. We would start the lessons early Saturday mornings at his home working a few hours, taking a break for lunch with his wife, Joan. But he'd never let me pay for these lessons. It's a pleasure, he'd always repeat. And that's such an amazing thing you learn from the man. It's, it's a pleasure. Life is a pleasure. The music is a pleasure. The fresh tomatoes in the salad are a pleasure. And above all, other people are a pleasure. Ted had this habit of uh, telling every woman he met that she was beautiful. It really had very little to do with actual physical appearance, but but it's a remarkable thing to be told of one's beauty. At, at first I hated it, as if it were somehow mocking. And then as I became accustomed to it, I, I grew to like it. And now I simply just admire it greatly. It's, it's amazing, this ability to see beauty and potential for beauty in, in every person. It's an ability we don't always notice because it doesn't come with coursework and studies and it isn't measured in grades or paychecks. This past summer, I went again to visit with the Levins. They'd moved now to New Hampshire, and Ted was in a nursing home. He's suffering from a form of Alzheimer's. The change was arresting. From time to time, I could catch glimpses of the quick, boyishly eager man I recalled when it adored creating painfully bad word puns. But mainly, Ted was quiet and uncommunicative, quite happy at one moment and then violently angry the next. But most remarkable was when he would sit back at the piano. He'd repeat over and over that, that same Schubert impromptu that I'd played for him two years ago. And as he did, I began to understand why that first note needs to be held for such a long time. How, as Mr. Cosby reminded us yesterday in, in style, we can move only when there's purpose to what we are doing, when it becomes our own choice. I understood how much fear and resolve were in that note. And it strikes me that it's this absolute commitment to a musical pause, to an emotion, to a political idea, or most importantly, to one's own beliefs, whatever they might be, that allows us to be truly alive, 
for Ted, it's his passion for music that keeps him alive. So in closing, I'd urge you to look at your own lives, at the people around you, to create beauty simply by looking for it, and to revel in that beauty. To notice the pride and love in your parents' eyes, the excitement and fear, the myriad emotions in your friends' voices, especially those sexy voices from yesterday. And uh, most of all, I urge you to ask, what's the hurry? Allow yourself the time to live with commitment to yourselves and to your lives. We are such exceptionally privileged people, and we each have a chance to stand for what we believe, to see the beauty in life, and not to worry what others will think. Thank you, and congratulations to you all. At this time, I would like to introduce the Dean of the Graduate School and the Agate Brown and George L. Collard Professor of Religion, John Wilson, who will present the candidates for advanced degrees. Dean Wilson. At this time, we recognize each individual who is qualified for an advanced degree from Princeton University. Let me remind you at the outset that if your diploma was conferred by the trustees in their current meeting, it may be picked up behind Nassau Hall on the west side of Cannon Green at the conclusion of these exercises. As many of the candidates for master's degrees as are present, please rise in your places. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified who have completed the scholastic requirement for the degrees of Master of Arts, Master of Fine Arts, Master of Arts in Near Eastern Studies, Master of Architecture, Master in Public Affairs, Master in Public Affairs and Urban and Regional Planning, Master in Public Policy, Master of Science and Engineering, and Master of Engineering. Autoritate mihi ecuratoribus, Universitatis Princetoniensis Comissa, vos ad gratum secundum admito. Congratulations to you all. Please be seated. Will the candidates for the doctor's degrees please stand? Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you and your fellow trustees the candidates standing before you and the other candidates duly certified to you who have completed the scholastic requirements the degree of Doctor of Philosophy. Octoritate mihi ecuratoribus universitatis princetoniensis commissa. Vos at gradem doctoris in philosophia admito. Congratulations to you all. Be 
Let me just say, while these degree candidates are still standing, that the Doctor of Philosophy is the highest academic degree awarded, making an original and independent contribution to the world of scholarship to each one of these degree candidates. I'm especially pleased to congratulate these recipients of today's PhD degrees, and I hope we'll all show our appreciation one more time. Thank you all very much, and congratulations. Uh, please be seated. It's a very special pleasure for me to confer the President's Awards for Distinguished Teaching. I want to thank Charter Trustee Lloyd E. Coatson of the Class of 1950 and Emeritus Trustee John Sherritt of the Class of 1952 for their endowment of these awards which enable us to honor today four members of the faculty for a sustained record of excellence in teaching at both the undergraduate and graduate levels. Dean of the Faculty and James S. McDonald, Distinguished University Professor of Physics, Joseph H. Taylor, will introduce each award winner. Dean Taylor. One of the award winners could not be with us here today, Elias M. Stein, Albert Baldwin Dodd Professor of Mathematics. His daughter, Karen D. Stein, a member of the class of 1984, is here to accept the award in her father's absence. I would like to introduce each of the award winners individually. First, Lynn William Enquist, Professor of Molecular Biology. He presents an appropriately infectious enthusiasm for his complex field of specialization, the strategies and tactics of viruses. As his colleagues in the Department of Molecular Biology testify with true admiration, he also thinks like a virus, developing fiendishly clever strategies to subvert any human defense, in this case, any human defense that might impede a student's understanding of his beloved topic. Mr. President, I have the honor to present Professor Enquist. <laughs> Diana Jean Foss, Associate Professor of English. She performs her responsibilities as Director of Graduate Studies with flair and scruple, imparting through her example a sharp and clear conception of what it takes to be an accomplished professional in the contemporary academic world. Her undergraduate and graduate students respond to her teaching with respect and gratitude, as with a noticeable strengthening of their own intellectual rigor. Mr. President, I have the honor to present Professor Foss. Andrew Christian Eisenberg, Assistant Professor of History. Organization, thoughtfulness, good humor, inventiveness, enthusiasm, and a consistent willingness to give of his time and energy. These are the qualities that he brings to a style of teaching that persuades students that learning is about effort. He has successfully engaged his colleagues in comparative and collaborative enterprises that showcase his ability to create new courses as well as to inspire his students. Mr. President, I have the honor to present Professor Eisenberg.
Elias M. Stein, Albert Baldwin Dodd Professor of Mathematics. He has reformed the teaching of undergraduate mathematics by relating theory to application and the topic of the moment to the rest of mathematics. As one of the great mathematicians himself, he is able to convey to his students the sense that the past legends in the field accomplished something exciting and beautiful and that they can do the same. Mr. President, I have the honor to present Karen Stein on behalf of her father, Professor Stein. Please join me once more in recognizing the contributions of these faculty members to the vitality of Princeton's teaching mission. The University Orator, Robert H. Rawson, Class of 1966, will now present the candidates for honorary degrees. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Laws, Honoris Causa, Kevin Gover. As an undergraduate, he marched on this very ground with placards drawing attention to the plight of the American Indian. Once graduated, he accepted his own challenge, advocating Native American causes effectively through the law. As Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs in the Department of the Interior, he brought an intelligence, honesty, and openness that earned the respect of both federal legislators and the sovereign governments of indigenous Americans throughout this country. His career, marked by the courage of his Pawnee and Comanche ancestors, is a model for members of 562 American Indian nations and for all Americans of a life led in the nation's service and in the service of all nations. Mr. President, Mr. Goldberg. Thank you. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Fine Arts, Honoris Causa, Shelton Jackson Spike Lee. He has used the wide-reaching medium of film to tell his stories and to record history, focusing the eye of the camera and our hearts and minds on the vast richness of African-American culture. He has captured the sweeping panorama of American life through the, through the events of a single community on a single day, and from simply, sim simple daily exchanges, he has produced power ex powerful examples of genuine tragedy and comedy. He is a teacher whose work shows that silence about racial or personal differences is divisive, 
that communication, even about painful issues, can build a united nation and that respect for each other can lead us to do the right thing. Mr. President, Mr. Lee. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Science Honoris Causa, Aaron Lemonick. A high-energy physicist and a high-energy teacher, he has committed himself to introducing generations of students to the mysteries and intricate beauty of the world of physics. Eloquent advocate of research of the highest quality, he served as fearless leader of first the graduate school and then the faculty as Princeton opened new areas of scientific inquiry while strengthening its traditions of undergraduate liberal education. Fond of reminding us that sometimes things that go without saying ought to be said he gives us an opportunity to say a heartfelt thank you for his deep devotion to Princeton and for a lifelong career of inspired and inspiring leadership. Doctor Tati Mihi Curatoribus, Universitatis Printonensis Commissa, Teat Gradam Doctoris and Scientius, Honoris Causa and Mittel. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Science Honoris Causa, Jane Lubchenco. In her research, she has elucidated the basic ecological and evolutionary relationships among the plants and animals of coastal shores. A dedicated and highly effective teacher, she led the development and implementation of a critically important agenda for ecological research for the new millennium by providing decision makers and the general public with a clear understanding of the challenges facing our environment and the opportunities for development and use of sustainable resources. A visionary leader in the international scientific community, she has been one of the most influential voices for science and science policy in our nation and the world. Mr. President, Professor Luchenko. Doctor Tati Mihi Ecuratoribus, Universitatis Brigadonitis Commissa, Teat Gradam Doctoris and Scientiis, Honoris Causa Admito. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Science, Honoris Causa, Cortland D. Perkins.
His pioneering text on aircraft stability and control laid the groundwork for scientifically testing the limits of flight in air and space. Over two decades, his vision directed a fledgling department to the leading edge of aerospace engineering and steered the university toward a new era of large-scale research. Having begun his career in the nation's service, he has re repeatedly returned to public leadership. As engineer, teacher, administrator, and wise advisor, he has provided inspiration to students who adva have advanced the frontiers of knowledge, captained the aerospace industry, and planted Princeton's flag on the moon. Mr. President, Professor Perkins. Octoritati mihi curatoribus universitatis princetoniensis colonissa. Te ad gradem doctoris in scientii sonoris casa admito. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Humanities, Honoris Causa, William Felton Russell. One of the most dominating college basketball players ever, a member of the 1956 U.S. Olympic gold medal basketball team, and member and coach of the Boston Celtics when they won 11 National Basketball Association championships, five times the NBA's most valuable player, and a member of the Hall of Fame since 1975, this legend of the basketball court made defense an offensive element of the game. As Americans grappled with civil rights during the turbulent 60s and 70s, he was appointed the first African-American professional coach of a major sport, and the victories he won throughout his life were as much victories for equality and fair treatment as they were victories for this quintessentially American sport. Known as a gentleman and a gentleman, he continues to be a voice of common sense and of courage who shifts our gaze upward to the highest ideals of American life. Mr. President, Mr. Russell. Octoritati mihi curatoribus universitatis printoniensis commissa te at gradem doctoris in rebus humanis honoris causa admito. Mr. President, I have the honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Laws, Honoris Causa, Sonia Sotomayor. She brings to the courts of law her intelligence and wisdom, her insight and passion, and the perspective she gained from her heritage, her childhood, her years at Princeton, and her experience in private practice. She has won wide acclaim for her decisions in complex cases 
and her skills in resolving seemingly unresolvable disputes. During the summer of 1995, in a matter of hours, she unraveled a Gordian knot that had held baseball hostage for more than 230 days. With wisdom and judgment that cross cultural boundaries, she strengthens our nation's commitment to liberty and justice for all. Mr. President, Judge Sotomayor. Ladies and gentlemen, I have one more honorary degree to present, one that is not in your program. My fellow trustees, I have the special honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Laws, Honoris Causa, Harold Taffler Shapiro. The positions he has held speak more eloquently than words of his accomplishments. President of Princeton University, President of the University of Michigan, Chair of the National Bioethics Advisory Commission, Chair of the Association of American Universities. Today, we especially salute his extraordinary leadership of Princeton these past 14 years. He has skillfully and thoughtfully guided Princeton into the 21st century in service not only to this nation, but to all nations. He leaves office with Princeton at the top of its game with a strengthened commitment to teaching as a national leader in financial aid for undergraduates and graduate students with more options for campus life and with a renewed commitment to the beauty of this campus. We now look forward to his continuing contributions as teacher, as scholar, and as residents of this community that he has served with such wisdom, such integrity, and such grace. I present Mr. Shapiro to my fellow trustees, Doctoritate Mihi Acuratoribus Universitatis Princetoniensis Commissa Teat Gradum Doctoris in Legibus Honoris Causa Admito. Well, it's a pleasure to join you. I've got mine here. I don't have to go to Cannon Green later. <laughs> Graduating students, my fellow honorary degree recipients, distinguished members of the platform party, parents and friends, once again, let me say what a pleasure it is to share Princeton's 254th commencement with you. 
I have always found commencement to be an exciting moment. The different generations that gather each year on this historic green come to celebrate the achievements of a group of young people who have been part of a really very special community of learning that is founded on some quite traditional, indeed very traditional, ideals of service, responsibility, and critical thinking that have survived the tests of many generations. Yet it is also based on a set of important new ideas that have evolved as our knowledge has expanded, our moral sensitivities developed, and our societies progressed. At opening exercises four years ago, I welcomed the class of 2001 to Princeton by asking the chapel organist to play the musical theme from Stanley Kubrick's classic film, 2001, A Space Odyssey. The undergraduates today heard it again at baccalaureate ceremonies just a day or two ago. You'll be relieved to know I'm not going to play it again this morning. But that musical theme, which you heard again, as I said, just a few days ago, was chosen by Kubrick to herald new discoveries that could potentially transform the human condition. And four years ago, it represented for me the hopes I had for the class of 2001 and the faith I had in the work of our university. In retrospect, this theme has indeed proved fitting background music for the achievement of the class of 2001 over these last four years, as well as for the extraordinary work of our graduate students who are graduating today and, of course, the faculty of the university. As you leave the Princeton campus today and following tradition, walk with your classmates through Fitzrandolph Gates. Your lives will change profoundly as you assume new roles and responsibilities in communities across this country and around the world. I hope you feel both exhilarated about the future and reflective about those aspects of the Princeton experience that will always remain with you. And I have to say that at this particular commencement, I share these thoughts and emotions with you since this is my final commencement as president of Princeton. Looking back over my years on this campus, the time I spent here as a graduate student and my tenure as president, what has inspired me most deeply is the extraordinary range of achievements of Princeton students and faculty, both inside and outside the classroom, from extending the bounds of knowledge to extending so many helping hands in service to their communities. It has been my great privilege to be a steward of this great legacy, handed down to us by so many generations of students, faculty, alumni, and staff, whose efforts have defined this distinguished university and continue to shape it today. As I begin the next chapter of my life, I am simultaneously nervous and exhilarated by the challenges ahead. Today, I would like to present very, very briefly some of my observations regarding the meaning of the years spent at this great institution of education, learning, and scholarship. We, you and I, live in a world of constant change, and we must bring our knowledge, our sense of humanity, and our capacity for critical thought to the task of guiding us through the next phases of our lives. We will live together in a new and dynamic era that is now unfolding before us. The great challenge that each of us here today faces as we enter the next chapter of our lives is the same challenge that confronts this university as it continues to remake itself to meet its ever-evolving responsibilities. If we as individuals or Princeton as an institution 
are to address the problems and seize the opportunities of the new era that is unfolding before us. We must find ways to build on the efforts of those who came before us. But at the same time, we must strive to develop our unique individuality, summoning the courage to put aside outdated notions and work on behalf of new ideas and innovative programs. Here at Princeton, for example, one of our highest priorities in recent years has been making our educational experience more accessible and affordable to talented young people, no matter what their background or where they came from in this country or around the world. Through the generosity of our alumni, parents and friends, we have been able to set a new national standards for more generous financial support of both undergraduate and graduate students in need. But there have been other changes. Many of you had witnessed, for example, the remarkable physical transformation of certain parts of this campus in recent years. Indeed, perhaps you have had to detour around backhoes and bulldozers on your way to class as we have built advanced new facilities for teaching and research, for athletic events and living spaces, and of course, to strengthen our sense of community as a brand new Frisk Campus Center is doing so splendidly. Moreover, we have continued to make great strides in the frontiers of science and engineering, pushing forward, for example, into new areas of biological research, advanced materials, optics, environmental sciences, neurosciences, and astrophysics. But as our scientific horizons expand at such an extraordinary pace, yielding new understandings of the natural world, it becomes more compelling than ever to probe more deeply into those aspects of our human narrative and the overall human condition that give meaning to our lives and all that we do. In this respect, the film 2001, A Space Odyssey, while it celebrated the wonders of human progress, also warned us that new technology, if used improperly, could lead to the dehumanization of our society. In the 21st century, scientists and engineers will continue to inform us regarding what we can do with our ever-expanding knowledge base, but it is our shared responsibility to decide what we should do. And deciding what we should do is the greatest responsibility we all bear as we move forward together. For example, Will our understanding of human biology be used to control the human spirit or to liberate it? New understandings that expand what we can do are only the first step. Forging a social, political, and moral consensus regarding what we should do with our increasing power is even more imperative, and it is the duty of engaged and concerned people everywhere. With this awesome responsibility in mind, we must continue to search everywhere in the human experience for useful insights, including a renewed examination of all the world's cultures and civilizations, a new look at significant ancient and modern texts, debating alternative social contracts and thinking as deeply as we can about what it is that can give a greatest meaning to all our labors. Here at Princeton, we continue to support such work, and we have launched important new programs to explore such urgent social and political topics as the manifestations of religion and national and international life, the relationship of law to society, the role of self-determination, and the global pursuit of peace and justice. And we have tried to ensure that during their time at Princeton, while our students are acquiring so much contemporary knowledge and an understanding of their place in the long stream of human history, they are also learning to ask themselves and each other critical questions about the purposes of their lives 
the significance of their actions and their moral responsibility as educated citizens. As I walk across the campus each day, I am moved not just by the new programs and buildings we have put into place, but also by the many personal experiences and encounters that have, during the past 14 years, been so fulfilling, so inspiring, so hopeful, and indeed so much fun. My kaleidoscope of memories includes joyous commencements, the annual exciting excitement and anticipation of opening exercises, the colorful pageant of Princeton reunions, and the friends that I have made among so many Princetonians. I think that each of us has our own list that evokes for us the Princeton experience. For me, there has been the rewards of teaching first-year students about bioethics and the social history of higher education in the small seminars that have become a hallmark of our freshman experience, as well as in supervising senior theses. There has been the intellectual excitement of reading the books the Princeton faculty publish in so many different fields and express so many different ideas that all, one way or another, advance our understanding of the natural world and the human condition. There is also the excitement and joy of listening to deeply resonant melodies from Bach to Aaron Copland played on the great chapel organ or the many spectacular performances of the university orchestra and other student groups or the sheer enjoyment of experiencing the music and lyrics of Willie Nelson on Cannon Green. Talking about excitement, who will ever forget this year's lacrosse team's sixth national championship since 1992 with two one-goal victories over Memorial Day weekend. That was something. Indeed, I would like to congratulate all the members of the Princeton Intercollegiate teams who have represented Princeton so well. My own life has taken many different turns, many of them quite unexpected. It certainly never occurred to me when I came to Princeton as a graduate student that I would someday return as president. Nor could I anticipate the enormous rewards of working together with Princeton faculty and students in a common effort to expand teaching and learning, research and scholarship, discourse and dialogue here on our campus. For these many experiences, I want to thank all Princetonians, faculty, students, staff, alumni and parents for the inspiration and friendship they have provided for their devotion to keeping Princeton, this place, this idea, flourishing. I also want to especially thank the trustees of Princeton University for having enough faith in me, not only to elect me as president, but to support the many initiatives we've undertaken together in the last 14 years. And finally, I want to thank my family, particularly my wife, my lifelong partner, Vivian, our four daughters, our son-in-laws, and indeed our 11 grandchildren for their understanding, their support, joy to say nothing of the loving criticism they brought to every day of my life. <laughs> For today's graduates, I hope that whatever your life's journey takes you, you will always be conscious of how your own actions affect others, of your obligations to those less fortunate than yourselves. It is your relationship to others and to your that your lives will be defined and your humanity most fully expressed. In this respect, I ask you all to recall and listen to perhaps what has always been a favorite Native American blessing. I've used it on many occasions and it goes as follows. Now you will feel no rain, for each will shelter the other. Now you will feel no cold, for each will warm the other. Now you will feel no solitude, for each will company 
the other. The responsibilities of all citizens are great, but for those who have had the benefit of Princeton education, the responsibilities are greater still. It is to these greater responsibilities that you must carry forward with commitment and vigor to fulfill the promise of this university's long-standing and now expanded mandate, Princeton in the nation's service and in the service of all nations. The challenge of meeting this responsibility will not be easy, but I hope that each of you in your own special way will pursue it with a spirit of pride and humility. It is easy to talk about a lofty goal, very easy to talk about a lofty goal. It is a challenge to actually pursue it. It is a victory to attain it and a great nobility of purpose to sustain it. It is this nobility of purpose which all of us, all of today's graduates, are now summoned. As I think about the great global Princeton community, I often focus on the inspiring individual accomplishments of our faculty, our students, and our alumni, but I'm even more awestruck by what a group of people spanning many generations, working together with a shared sense of purpose and a deep affection for this special place, can help Princeton yet become. During our formal commemoration of the university's 250th anniversary, we dedicated the stone in the middle of this very green to our alumni in recognition of their continued devotion to Princeton. Today, each of you becomes part of this wonderful alumni body at this place where so many campus paths come together and from which you will follow so many different paths in your lives. Perhaps every year, at commencement time, as May turns into June, each of you will think back on your experiences here, and perhaps these thoughts will encourage you to participate in an ever-changing, always-renewing Princeton as we prepare for the generations of your children and your grandchildren and beyond. Twenty-two years ago, I gave my first commencement address as a university president. And I close those remarks with the Swedish version of an ancient but very well-known Celtic blessing. I would like, therefore, to end these commencement remarks, my last as Princeton's presidents, with the same blessing to each and every one of you. I'm sure many of you will recognize it, and it goes as follows. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Good luck and Godspeed to you all. Thank you. At the conclusion of the benediction and after the singing of Old Nassau, guests are requested to remain in their places until the platform party and the degree candidates have left from campus and returned to Cannon Green. The benediction will be pronounced by Dean Morrill. Dean Morrill. Will you stand for the benediction, please? Goodbye which is a contraction, of course, for God be with you. God be with you as you march out the Fitz Randolph gate and step into the next stage. 
God be with you as you find work that satisfies and delights you, as you find work that has value. God be with you as you form friendships, as you forge communities, as you embrace the mystery of love. God be with you as you broaden your horizons, as you widen your circle of compassion, as you deepen your sense of service. God be with you, Dean Williamson. God be with you, President Shapiro. God be with each of you. Goodbye.